last fall, we asked you some questions and we asked you to ask your friends questions. And we said, what are the biggest questions that you would like answers to? And we will do our best to put together a sermon series in January to address those things. And so this morning we are addressing the question, what is the best way to navigate our polarized world? What is the best way to navigate our polarized world? When you look at the culture that surrounds us, you see tension, right? And you hear tension. You turn on uh, the TV and you watch the, the news programs and many of the news programs are just people shouting at each other. It's, it's quite amazing that, um, that somehow two people shouting at each other made the news, but... Uh, that's that's what it seems to be. Or if you post anything of any kind, whether it's about parenting or marriage or religion or politics or food, it doesn't seem to matter what you post on Facebook or Twitter or something. Somebody is going to take exception to that and tell you how dumb you are for doing it that way. And then you have sort of this, we'll call it healthy debate about the, the veracity of your statements and opinions. And, and so how do we navigate that kind of a world? If, if the whole world is polarized about every issue, how do we navigate that world? And so that's the task for this morning. Hopefully we can find some hope and encouragement from the scriptures Because in Psalm 133, it says this, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. That's that's the ideal. That's what we would love to see, is for people living together in unity, and instead what we see is division and polarity and animosity. And so I want to start by, by asking the question, where did this come from? Where did it come from, right? It seems to me that that's a good place to start. When you have a problem, the best place to start is uh, where did this come from, right? If you if you have uh, a ceiling issue with water dripping down from the ceiling, you can go, oh, that's a problem. Let me just patch that over. Uh, but a better question would be, where is this problem coming from? Because... Uh, That way, this problem might not reoccur if you can address the source of it. And so when I'm going to the source of a problem, I always go to the scriptures. And that's that's what we're trying to do in this series. Is Normally, when we're preaching through a book of the Bible, we start from the scriptures and then we work from the scriptures to life. Now we're working from the big questions of life and going to the scriptures, uh, which I'll be honest with you is a lot more work and requires... (laughs) A lot more scriptures. So, uh, let's just start at the beginning. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. God has created the heavens and the earth, put everything in it, and said, "This this is good. He created mankind. He put him in the garden. He gave him the instructions that he is to work the garden, and said, "Ah, you know, not quite. I got it. He put a woman in the garden with him. And it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Astounding. He put... 
two people, a man and a woman, in the garden. Neither of them had clothes on, and there were no issues between them. They were naked and they were unashamed. They, they were completely exposed to one another, and they had no shame. It's amazing. It's just them and God and everything is wonderful. Genesis chapter 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, let me back up just a second. God has instructed them that they can eat from any tree in the garden. Just not one. Just, just not that one tree in the middle of the garden, the, the, the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree. And the serpent has come along and has told her, you know, it would probably be a really good idea if you, in fact, did eat from that tree. There's a lot of wisdom to be gained from eating from the tree of knowledge. And so now we have the woman in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes... And that the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. This to me is is maybe the most disappointing verse in all of scripture. They had been chapter two, verse twenty five, naked and unashamed. They were totally content and happy in the presence of God and of one another, and they were content there. And then you get this. I heard the sound of you, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. They, they, they commit this sin, they operate uh, against what God's instruction to them was, and immediately there's this issue between them. There hadn't been an issue before, but it's suddenly like Donald Duck with the shirt gone and like that, right? You've, you've seen those cartoons? And they see one another and they're like, I need some leaves. It's just the two of them there, but suddenly they need to cover up. Not only cover up, but hide. Right? They, they see each other and like, oh, this is embarrassing. Yeah, me too. Cover up. And then, I, the Lord is coming. The Lord, you know when you have kids and they have no idea that you're there and then all of a sudden they become aware of the fact that you're there? Bedtime is not a thing in my house. It's a we call it a thing, it just doesn't work. We put them to bed, and I sit outside in the hallway, and I can hear them talking, because they share a bedroom, and so I can hear them. I, the, the boys' room is one, and the girls' room is two, and I just stand right in between the two, 
opening the door. Be quiet. Be quiet. Be quiet. When they don't know that you're there, they just yammer on and on. You can hear them from the living room. You could probably hear them down the street. And you go walking down the hallway and they hear you. This is what's happening here. They they know they have done wrong. And they hear the sound of God coming. And so they quick hide themselves as though that's going to do something. But now you have this division because of sin, because of this issue with God. They've broken relationship. And now for the first time in history, you have division. And it's because of sin. It is always sin that causes division. And it is always a twisting of truth that causes that. So you have this competing truth between the serpent and God. Right? God's truth, don't eat from that tree because if you eat from that tree, you will die. The serpent's truth, that tree is beneficial to you and you will not die. They disobey God. They follow the truth of the serpent. Now you have division. Now you have division. This is where the whole thing originates. The next time that I noticed division really popping up big in the scriptures comes in Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 1, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. There's some division still because the sin has carried over. They're still ashamed. I'm sure they're all wearing clothes because they they are not uh, that unified. But the whole earth had one language and the same words. There's some unity there. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, what had God instructed them to do? Be fruitful and multiply, go and fill the earth. So now what they're doing is they're, they're saying, I know, let's all gather together in one place so that we don't go and be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. They said, oh, you know what we'll do? We'll get together and we'll do whatever we want. And God went, oh, no, no, you won't. We'll build a tower and it will reach to the heavens. And they built it really high and God came down to see it because it didn't make it there. And he, 
he said, no, this is not, this is not what I instructed you to do. I instructed you to, to go and fill the earth, and you're not going and filling the earth. And so he caused division among them. Isn't that interesting? There was one people group that shared one language. How did we get to have all of these different people groups with all of these different languages that are not united and one? God did that. Did you ever think about that before? That God divided the people? Why did he do that? Because they refused to obey him and follow him. There was division created there so that they wouldn't oppose what he was instructing them to do. You see, sometimes we look at all of the division in the world and we go, man, division is bad. Look at all of the conflict that comes because of division. But what we don't recognize is that bad unity is worse. Bad unity is worse. If we're united around the same things, but those same things are completely contrary to the ways of God, that's worse than division. We always assume that if we have unity, it would be around really good stuff and it would make things really good. But what God was looking at here was that they were opposing the things that he was instructing them to do. And so that kind of unity was not good unity. It was unity opposed to God. They were united, but it was in opposition to God. And that was not okay. In fact, uh, the psalmist in Psalm 55 verse 9 says this, Destroy, O Lord, the... Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Look, God, I see, I see what's going on here. There's all of this violence and strife in the city. Could you just break that up? Divide their language, divide their tongues so that they don't do this anymore. Cause infighting amongst them so that they are not so much trouble to everybody else. And the whole thing will fall apart. All of their plans will fall apart. We've got all kinds of division and polarity right now. We've got conservatives and liberals, Democrats and Republicans, religious and irreligious. We've got people of different ethnicities and nationalities and languages, different parenting styles. There's lots and lots and lots of division. And it all originates from way back in Genesis when people first started opposing God and doing things that were contrary to what God had instructed them to do. And so it caused division with God and then subsequently caused division amongst themselves as well. First was the sin and the division with God and then because there's no unity with God, now there's no unity here either. And the further it goes from having unity with God, the more the division there is. It seems to me, too, that uh, the more that people are affected by things, right? Everybody has their truth, the thing that they're holding on to, their version of whatever that is. 
And the more that that's in competition with somebody else, the more they slam together, right? The tighter I'm holding to this as my truth, and the tighter you're holding to that as your truth, the harder they slam against one another. And so things that, that, that really affect me might cause me to be at odds with you. I, I, I've even seen this um, in simple things like the way that people vote for education or not for education. Right? It seems really simple. We have a bond. The schools are falling apart. We have a bond. We need to pass that bond so that we can build new schools or refresh these facilities or something because everybody agrees education is really good. It's really good for the community to have educated people. It's good for, for uh, the economy because when you have good school system, then people move into the area. Lots of reasons for, for investing in that. But then somebody goes, except that when you do that, it's going to raise my property taxes and I can't afford to do that. I'm going to cling. No. And suddenly we have this competition between education and my money. And those two things are going to come slamming against each other. And what do you do? Because you've got this division. It's, it's, that's just like a small thing. And there's all kinds of, of big, big divisions. So as I was trying to think about this and going, okay, here's the question. I figured out where it came from. There's this sin issue that causes division between people. There's these opposing truth issues that when I hold one truth and you hold one truth, they slam against one another. Okay, good. Defined it. They're going to want an answer. Okay, we defined the problem. Now how do we solve the problem? And so the first thing I thought was, well, okay... if my, my one division is between me and God, how is that solved? If there's this, this opposition, this tension, this animosity between me and God, how is that resolved? And I went to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There's that issue, right? That that sin issue that is so fundamental to the division between us and God, that the Adam and Eve issue, right? That suddenly, when we hear the voice of God or the sound of God in the garden, we want to cover up and hide because of this problem between us and God. And what Jesus has done is Jesus has said, I, have, I will come and I will resolve that tension. I will reconcile the relational division between you and God. I will reconcile you. What a fantastic thing to have happen. 
Have you ever been at odds with somebody and had to reconcile with them? Maybe you wronged them and you had to come to them and ask for forgiveness so that you could be reconciled. Maybe they wronged you and you had to reach out to them and extend forgiveness so that you could be reconciled. Or maybe there was such tension between you that you needed somebody to go between you and help you reconcile. I I do this all the time for my kids. They don't recognize it, I don't think. But something comes up, there's some issue, right? One takes a toy or breaks a toy or something, and dad steps in and goes, okay, let me help you reconcile. I understand that you think the problem here is this toy, And so let me help you solve who's going to have the toy and how that's going to work or how you're going to share the toy or if the toy was broken, how we're going to fix it or replace it. Those are the hardest ones. One kid takes another kid's toy and breaks it. He took my toy and he broke it. Dad steps in, fixes the toy, returns it, reconciliation and peace. That's what Jesus did. He said, I see this issue between you and God. You have a sin issue that is opposed to God. I will step in and I will resolve the tension that is there. The tension is that you have sin against God and God's wrath is against you because of your sin. I will take the wrath so that you can have reconciliation. Colossians chapter 1 puts it this way. Uh, 119 of Colossians. For in him, that is Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. He's saying, look, you... You have reconciliation through the blood of the cross. This is what Jesus has done. You who were alienated from God and doing evil deeds and hostile to God, great enemies, Jesus stepped in and reconciled that. That's what Jesus did. Now, when we think about enemies and the people who are against one another and the polarization that happens in our uh, culture and in our communities over all kinds of issues, what we recognize is the greatest division that there has ever been is between us and God because of sin. That's the biggest problem that there's been. And God has provided a way so that we might be reconciled with Him through Jesus. Now, ultimately... That's the great hope. That's the great hope because we're united with Jesus. And so if I'm united with Jesus, what difference does it make what what kind of relationship I've got with you? Maybe a little bit of a difference, right? 
But ultimately, I'm secure here in my relationship with God. Interesting what happens because of that. Acts chapter 2, right after Jesus died and and rose again from the dead, then all of his followers were gathered in one place, and this is what happens in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya beyond to, uh, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them all telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed and saying to one another, what does this mean? And so just as we had seen in Babel, That the people were dispersed and broken up and divided in the way that they spoke so that they couldn't understand one another in their antagonism toward the things of God. Now, we have a complete reversal of this because of Jesus. Jesus rises from the dead and the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the people are united so that even their languages don't cause any kind of division. All of them from all over the world are being drawn into this one place where they are completely unified in the hope that Jesus is Lord. Because when we have that one hope, all of the other differences fall away. So when I have hope in God and have been reconciled to Him, and you have hope in God and have been reconciled to Him, we don't have any issue with each other anymore. The sin stuff has been taken away. We might have differences of opinion about some things. We might have differences in the way that we go about doing some things. But ultimately, I know that you are my brother and sister in Christ, and we are united because we share one God, one hope, one Savior. And the expectation that ultimately there is going to be this kind of pervasive unity. Revelation chapter 7. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and languages. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. And all of those people from every place all over the world of every kind of background and ethnicity and tongue and everything is gathered under one place for one reason, and that's to worship God because of Jesus. That is the ultimate hope. What an awesome thing then to be in His church here with all kinds of differences between us. I don't 
I do not think for one second that we are united on every issue in this room. I think that there are all kinds of opinions, some of you with very strong ones I've noticed. And yet we sit side by side singing praises with one another, to one another, lifting them up to God because we are united, all serving God together. What an incredible place this is. It's just a taste. It's just a taste of what it will be like in eternity. In a place where there will be no shame, no division. All of us serving God together and united with one another. That is our hope. Do you realize that's not everybody's hope? Some people have very different hopes. They look at the world around us and they see the, the kind of animosity and the challenges that, that, that occur and go, you know what we need? We need power. Power and authority. Because I'm right on this. I mean, you have your wrong opinion, but I'm right. And because I'm right, it doesn't really matter how we get there as long as everybody ends up having to submit to my opinion. And so whether power or authority, getting enough people together, we can make this happen. We can push this through. I see this all the time in politics. If we can just rally enough people together, we can force the other side to bend to our wishes. It's a power it's a hope in power. It's a hope in authority. That's a false savior. What happens if they rally more people? Then you lose. What happens in between? Lots of blood and carnage with all of the fighting. As one group is trying to exert the power over the other group. And so you... When? What did you accomplish? Just a lot of hurt people. Broken and resentful. There's no unity in that. Just winning, whatever that means. Getting your way for the moment. There are other people who, who recognize the pitfalls of power and authority and say, you know what, I don't think it's power and authority. My hope is education. Education is where it's at. If I can make a clever enough YouTube video that explains this issue in an understandable way for morons, then they will get it and understand that I've been right all along. If we can just teach people and show people and explain to people and reason with people, then they will understand that I have been right all along and we will be unified. And the thing is that people hold different values. They're, they're holding on tight to things. You can explain to somebody over and over and over again, look, this is why education is so important. This is why education is so good for our com community. This is why you really must give your taxes. And they'll go, yes, I understand that. Yes, I understand that. Yes, I understand that. No, I will not pay those taxes. 
because all of your high ideals and everything does not affect my paycheck and I cannot afford to have my taxes raised and so I will not vote for that. It's a a difference of position. You, You can't educate out of that. You're coming from different places. It's your perspective that causes you to think that way, that if you just could, could convince everybody to see it from your perspective, but they're not living your life. And you're not living their life. And so education isn't going to get us there. We are never going to reach a place where as a society we are so enlightened that we no longer have divisions between us. The education is not that good. Because ultimately what it comes down to is that they are not all holding on to a singular truth of God. And so there's going to be all kinds of divisions. Our hope cannot be in that it is another false savior. Some people think that Okay, I understand we're never going to educate everybody, and not every, everybody is not going to ever all agree. And the power thing, that's never going to work, and so what we just have to accept is everybody. Tolerance. That's the answer. If you just accept people, live and let live, everybody will be fine. And so their hope is if we can just reach a place where everybody is tolerant of everybody else, then we won't have divisions anymore. Because everybody will just be united in their acceptance of the differences that are between us that keep us from being the same. And what they're essentially saying is, there is no actual truth, which means your opinion is not any different than anybody else's opinion, and so everybody can just hold their opinion, and because there is no such thing as truth, it doesn't matter what anybody believes anyway. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because at some point you recognize, hey, hold up, you're being intolerant. We can't allow that. In the name of tolerance, you must stop. Well, I'm offended. Who has the right? Who has the rights? Is it the offender who has the rights or the offended who has the rights? I get to say whatever I want. You have to be tolerant of that. You're not allowed to say that to me because I'm tolerant of that. There's, There's just, it doesn't work. We can try, but it's not going to be there. It's a false hope. It's a false savior. So whether it's power or education or tolerance... These aren't going to work. The only way that there is ever going to be unity amongst all people is if all people turn to God and accept the truth. That's the only way. It's the only ultimate hope. Now, I am not naive enough to think 
that we can just go tell people that and educate them. And then they will believe it and will be unified with us. That's not going to happen for everybody. I'm also not naive enough to think that we can power our way to that. Or accept and tolerate our way to that. This is going to be a work of God. Just like salvation happens for each of us is a work of God in Jesus giving us His Son and drawing us to Himself. The unity that will exist someday will only come about because God makes it happen. So, remembering, having talked about all of these things, remembering that the actual question is, how do we navigate a polarized world like this? What do we do? We recognize that ultimately the only hope that's really there is to be united with God and then to be united with each other because all the other divisions fall away. But how do we navigate a polarized world that we live in right now? And I want, I want to first say, just to, to reiterate, that not all division is bad. Okay? Some of the hateful, spiteful polarizations that we see are awful, and there's all kinds of problems that come along with it. But not all division is bad. God caused division so that, so that people would not be too powerful, too unified in their opposition of Him. There is a, a, a sense in which when we have division and we can talk about it and wrestle it through, we do come to a better empathy and understanding of one another. And that's pretty good if it's done in a healthy way. And so I want to start just by saying that, that, that don't think that all division must be done away with right now. Ultimately, that will happen. But right now, it's okay to have some. Let's just, let's just do it well. Let's just be divided well, graciously. And the first step in that, I think, is to pray for our opponents. Those who we might consider to be um, our adversaries, our enemies, those who are against us, opposed to us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he will make... He, for he makes... His son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. When we have opposition with somebody and they, they become to us as an enemy, we have to pray for them. We have to pray for them for two reasons. One, just keeping them at an, as an enemy will never be resolved apart from the work of God. And so we have to pray. We have to pray. Otherwise, we resort to power or education or tolerance or, or ignoring and saying, okay, we're just done with you, or I'm going to force you to believe me, or I'm just going to argue with you. And prayer is so much better. We have to pray for them. The second thing that happens is, because of the work of God, sometimes God does a miraculous work in them, 
and transforms them. And you go, I never thought that they could be my friend. But look what God has done in them. That is ridiculous. I am so glad I prayed for them. Other times, God does the work in you. Those are also ridiculous. You have somebody who is opposed to you. They are your enemy. You, don't say it out loud, but secretly in your heart, hate them. And you begin to pray for them and God changes your heart. So that even though you still don't agree, you genuinely love them and seek for their good. The first step is when you recognize that you have a disagreement with somebody and are polarized with them is to go to prayer and pray for your enemies. The second is to be charitable. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Out of humility and love for our enemies, we ought to be so ridiculously generous and kind and gracious that they'd have to really try hard to hate us still. You know, when I'm looking through uh, Facebook feeds and Twitter posts and things like that, I don't see that kind of generosity and grace very often. Even among people in the church, they'd rather be right than to extend God's love and be wronged. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute them. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but... Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what you do. Uh, But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Finally, share the hope that you have. 
In 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Always looking, always being so gracious that you're looking for a reason to give them the hope that you have. And they, seeing the way that you're interacting with them, go, how can you do that? How can you respond so graciously? Be wise in the way that you interact with those who are opposed to you. Um, I'm just going to give you these verses because I'm taking longer than I thought I would. Proverbs 15, verses 1 through 4. Proverbs 17, 27 through 18, 17. All of these verses are about the way that we speak to people. The way that we speak to fools, the way that we speak to those who are opposed to us. Speaking gently, speaking kindly, speaking generously. In Romans chapter 16, verse 17, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Be careful. Be careful. Those who are causing division... That's not following Christ. Again, Titus chapter 3, As for the person who, steers up, who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. It comes down to this. That in a polarized world, we are united to God and one another through the reconciliation of Jesus. And we have to hold out that hope to others so that they may have the same. That's our hope. In Jude, chapter, in Jude uh, verse 18, it says, In the last time there will be scoffers following their un, own ungodly passions. 
It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in, the most, in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, our only hope is in you. And when we see the brokenness of the world around us and the polarity and the division, it just highlights for us how awful sin is. And that there really is no hope of reconciliation and unity apart from hope in you. And so, Lord, we ask, would you give us gracious, humble, generous hearts? Lord, for those who are against us, whether personally or corporately, Father, would you bless them? Would you heal them? Would you reconcile them to yourself? that they may know that you are God and in their being united with you, they might be reconciled and united with us as well. Lord, we have no hope other than you and the gift of your son, Jesus. And so together with, with one voice, we sing and we praise his name. Amen.